0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to Timeline Scavengers, the podcast specifically designed to last forever. I am James Anderson, one of your hosts.
1: And I'm Colin Parker, specifically one of your other hosts. On this show, we're going through the MCU, specifically in historical order, that's where I should have put it, Uh, day by day or scene by scene, depending on the thing, uh, until the end of time.
0: I taught my daughter how to say the word Pacific, Mm -hmm. like the Pacific Ocean, by saying, hey, what's your favorite ocean? It's, oh no, sorry. How to say the word specific. Uh-huh. Hey, what's your favorite ocean? It's Pacific, specific. Anyways. That's right, Colin. We are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's
1: good. No, it's good. It's just very funny.
0: Stupid brain. Uh, my brain was like, you can just jump right back in. Don't even worry about it. Tell them about the specific thing. It'll be great. Colin. We are here today talking about uh, Agent Carter season 2 as we have been and as we shall be but not forever oh. but for now mm. but and before but mm. now and then in the future Ooh. but not always oh, okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and this is a bit of a a long one so I'm just going to jump right into it if you if if I may if I may so we are looking at Agent Carter season 2 episode 3 we're going from 18 minutes and 6 seconds to 35 minutes and 32 seconds. And listener, before I get into the synopsis, it's only like 16 and a half minutes. I was like, surely this is almost nope. Nope. We still have a whole I did more that. stuff.
1: I did that too. When I was watching yeah. it, I was like, I was like, oh, I think I might have accidentally just gone over. Nope. There's four more minutes.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Surely that's
1: the no two and a half more minutes. Okay,
0: never mind. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, this is the last. No, we're going to. Oh, wow. And but what's funny back. is that
1: what is very funny is that there is a very if you actually go through the full clip, it could not be more apparent that it is now finally right. the next day. And you're like, oh, shit. OK, no, that now definitely tracks and make sense.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I
1: laughed out loud when I got to that part.
0: I love that. I love when that when it's like, oh, no, this is the clear thing. <laughs> All right.
1: I mean, just as a, as a tease, it's just someone going
0: "Good morning," and you're like, yeah. "Okay, yeah, that means it's the next day." <laughs> Good morning. That Smash Mouth song. All right. Yeah. So, at the SSR office, Jack chastises Pez. Woof. <laughs> woof. At the SSR office, Jack chastises Peggy for her behavior with Howard at the Arena Club. She needed to have had a search warrant, probable cause, and also he had closed the case. She counters that there's a conspiracy afoot. Susan defends yeah, her, example. but when he asks about the double newspapers and the bugs, she reluctantly reveals that they don't have either of those pieces of evidence. Thompson says that Peggy's emotions about Wilkes are clouding her judgment. Peggy accuses Thompson of quote, doing what he always does, burying an unpleasant truth, and hoping someone will pin a medal on him. Oh remember my that. God. Yeah. Remember that. Hefty. Yeah. Uh, which is I was about to say something, but I said it in my notes, so I'm just going to read my notes, which is pretty harsh, even for Peggy to say to Thompson. Uh, You'll remember from season one. Oh, yeah. 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 He tells her that she is to get on the next plane back to New York. She storms out of the office to start packing her things, and Sousa follows. He tells her he's on her side, but that Jack has a point about her guilt over what happened to Wilkes. He says that he wants to help, but that she keeps trying to go off and do things on her own. In the middle of all of all, in the middle of all this, Sousa hears a rumble. He and Peggy look down at her desk to see several of her desk, side, several of her desk items floating in the air. Peggy knows that this is a side effect of zero matter. They go to Stark's mansion, which I always read as Stork's mansion, which is funny to imagine him as a stork, Howard Stork. Disney get on that. They go to Stark's mansion so that they can so that he can examine her. Howard is fascinated. He notes that the temperature around Peggy is noticeably cooler than the rest of the room. But when Jarvis and Peggy make a connection to the lady in the lake and Detective Henry and the medical examiner, Howard reassures them that Peggy is not contaminated. Howard has has been developing a solution to, quote, develop invisible light waves, such as the gravitational disturbance around Peggy, like developing a picture, making them visible and recordable. He and Jarvis make up some solution and he puts it into a bug sprayer and sprays it at the gravitational disturbance, revealing Wilkes. He is visible but not tangible. He is also unable to talk until Howard sprays his vocal cords, which doesn't make sense. But TV Wilkes tells him that what happened. Wilkes tells him what happened, and with Whitney Frost, the actress and the zero matter. After establishing that Whitney is married to Chadwick, so it's not completely ridiculous that she'd be at his company, Jason begins to disappear. Howard tries to respray him, but runs out of solution. Howard gives Jarvis some shopping to do, and uh, now I have a quote here because uh, the writing was too good to not just quote this. Mm -hmm. From the pharmacy, give me some saline solution and some sterilized water. From the lab, get me some silver halide and some ammonium thiosulfate, and pick up any heavy metal you can find just in case. Oh, and from the market, give me some of that cheese I like. You know what is it? That that yellow one? Uh, Velveeta. 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 I'll get two bricks. I'll get two bricks is such a funny response. Mm-hmm. Uh, Howard reassures Peggy that he will work around the clock to develop a more permanent solution. He knows how much Wilkes means to Peggy. Peggy talks about how he's a good man and he's a crucial part of the investigation, etc. Jarvis leaves to go to the store, and Howard joins him as they walk off. Uh, Howard says, "Can I do fondue with that cheese?" And Jarvis says, "You can't do anything."
1: <laughs> and then they leave.
0: We. Mm, Let's get to the end of the synopsis. Let's talk about that, though. We'll we'll make sure we talk about that because we aren't anywhere near the end of the synopsis yet. Wow. Susan says that he and Peggy should get back to the SSR. Peggy says that she's not welcome there, but would appreciate him looking into Zero Matter and Whitney Frost. Meanwhile, she's going to poke the bear. New paragraph. By which she means that she is going to see Frost at the studio. She and Peggy trade passive-aggressive barbs. Peggy brings up the Isodyne explosion, and Whitney pretends not to know anything about it, and brings up the accusation of Wilkes being a communist. Then Peggy asks her about having been at the factory, and Whitney denies it. The tension grows and grows until the director shows up to get Whitney. Whitney leaves Carter alone in her dressing room. At the SSR office, Vernon Masters sits with Thompson. Thompson gives him the footage of the Zero Matter tests. Vernon confirms that it's the film and tells Jack That if it were up to him, he would get a medal for handing over the film. Remember? Mm -hmm. Which echoes what Peggy said before. Vernon leaves Jack in his office. Jack looks torn. Peggy returns to the Stark mansion, pleased to see Jason is visible again, and that he and Stark are hard at work. Jason has impressed Stark, like majorly impressed him. And here's Mm -hmm. another quote. In a short amount of time, you've managed to do what few have done. You've impressed Howard Stark and you've impressed me. You don't even know me that well. I'm an excellent judge of character, which I realized after I wrote it down is a Captain America reference. Mm -hmm. Thompson finds Sousa in the records department researching Whitney Frost, but it says Agnes Cully, so he doesn't think anything of it. Stage names. Is there anything they can't do? They talk about Peggy and Sousa's history back East. Sousa tells Thompson he's about to become engaged. Thompson offers to buy him a drink, but Sousa declines. Jack leaves to catch his flight back to New York City. At their house, this is where I was like, okay, wow, I've been typing for a long time. So, uh, But then in a, in a short amount of time, this is going to unravel again, and I had to go sort of beat by beat, if you will. At their house, Whitney Frost is ranting to Chadwick about her experience with Peggy earlier that day. He's half listening to her, reading the paper. <laughs> Homer, you're not even listening to me. Sure They will. Whitney says they need, to say, they need to do something about Carter and that it can't be through official channels. She says she wants Chadwick to let Mr. Hunt take care of her. Chadwick balks at the suggestion. Frost fake cries to get Chadwick's sympathy, and that works perfectly, especially after she brings up the counsel and how it might look if they caught wind of Peggy Carter's investigation. Chadwick says he'll take care of it. Having received Chadwick's instructions... Hunt watches Peggy work a punching bag in Howard Stark's gym. As he watches, Jarvis comes out to tell her he's turning in for the night. He is concerned about the intensity that she's bringing to her workout. She convinces him that he can do nothing to help, and he heads to bed, but he heads to bed, no less concerned. As Jarvis leaves, hmm, put those lips together, James. As Jarvis leaves, Hunt attacks Peggy in a mask. He tries to garrot her with a rope. She fights back, and they both plunge into the pool. They both hurry to get out of the pool, Peggy emerging first. But Hunt grabs the pool skimmer and hits her in the head, and then kicks her in the stomach when she's down. He pulls a switchblade, but before he can use it, Jarvis hits him on the head with a frying pan, drawing his attention. And also hitting him on the head with a frying pan. Jarvis and Hunt grapple while Peggy crawls towards the gun, which she reaches quickly. But not before Hunt can draw his, take aim and pull the trigger. Unfortunately, his gun has just been in the pool, so it doesn't fire. Peggy fires at Hunt as he runs away. When Hunt is gone, Peggy collapses, coughing into Jarvis's arms as they look fearfully at the place where they last saw Hunt. Good morning. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. It's been a long day, as Rob Thomas once said. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you want to start, Colin? What do you want to start with?
1: I have, I think, three things I, I specifically really want to hit on. Um, And it's all, no, okay. No, I I would like to, I'm going to go backwards, I think, in this. Sure. I want to talk about when she is working out outside and Jarvis drops by. Yeah. Because there's an exchange there that genuinely made me laugh so hard because it is exactly the kind of thing that I would do. Yes. Which is that she is punching the punching bag and he's talking about, you know, oh, should you really be working out in the evening? And she's like, I find that, you know, know, working out in the evening is the great way to de stress from the, I think she says tribulations or some of that of the day. Right. Right. And he's like, huh, yeah. Yes. And he goes, well, you know, should you ever find yourself wanting a sparring partner? And then she unleashes a fury of blows that are. Like both quick and extremely heavy, like it shakes the whole thing, and he goes. He just takes a beat, beat. You know, try again. A brief beat as he realizes just how hard she hits, and he says, "Mr. Stark, I'm sure can hire one for you."
0: You, me, and Aaron. Is this con- You know, mm-hmm. uh, Aaron. If you need a punching bag, I think James is in the next room. Let me just go mm-hmm. grab him for a second. Let <laughs> yeah, it's
1: yeah, it's it's so goddamn funny. Uh, and it's that thing of like, you know, again, Jarvis has this situation where he's always like, I really want to be involved in the things that Peggy does because we're good friends. But then also a little bit, she does scare me a little bit. So yeah. actually, yeah. maybe I won't specify that like you can punch in my direction.
0: Right. Um, exactly. Which
1: I think is great. Uh, that's the only thing that I had for that scene though. Um, yeah. So unless you have anything else from that little bit.
0: Oh, okay. I'm, uh, let's see. Let's see. Um. Nope. Okay.
1: Uh, The next thing um, is, wait a minute, just real fast, break down the the order of scenes that happened again. Uh, Let's
0: see, going going backwards? Yeah, if you can. All right, so the Hunt attacks, then Whitney and Chadwick are in bed, or well, she's ranting, he's reading the paper, and then she gets him to go call Hunt, and she, Crocodile Tears sort of stuff, we Mm -hmm. were talking about that. Uh, then before that is Thompson and Sousa in the records department. Oh, that's the one. Okay,
1: Thompson. Okay, so you were talking about how in a scene before that he feels torn. Yeah. We also talked in a recent episode about how Thompson seems to be undoing yeah. all of the work we put in to make his character likable in season one. Yeah. And again, this is sort of the situation that she has hit on in this, sub- in this episode of like you are kind of just playing into getting the attention that you want. Right. You know, you do these things and you sometimes let people paint the narratives that they, that they want just so you'll get the pat on the back. Right. Right. And I think what sucks is, is that even though he has had some good moments with Sousa, he has had just enough that are not so good that when, when Thompson genuinely is like, let's go out tonight. Yeah, there's a moment where that that section is, I think, actually kind of a cry for help.
0: I, Colin, I wrote Thompson is desperate to connect.
1: Thompson, I think, yeah, I especially with Dually gone, you know, and we've talked so much in this series about men and feelings and like not being able to things, but I think he desperately needed someone to go have a drink with him so he could talk about the things that he's doing currently for um. Vernon, yeah. Vernon, thank you. I was like, all of a sudden I forgot his name. Uh, Because I keep wanting to say Red. Red. I mean, that's not, you know. But, like, I'll tell you, the fact that they never once say something about putting a foot up anyone's ass is a real real shame considering this particular character. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that, like, you know, you should reference that in everything that he does after that. It's just... Specifically, he gives that vibe in this show, too. Yeah. It's It's like like, Samuel
0: L. Jackson says, fuck, and and Kurtwood Smith says, put my foot up your ass. Like, it's it's a thing. It's a thing. It's it's a vibe. Uh,
1: (laughs) It's a vibe, for sure. Uh, So I feel like, you know, it's a thing of, it's it's so unfortunate because, like, you know that Seuss is not looking for it because Seuss is not only tired, but also a little aggravated. So, like, mentally, he's not checking in on Thompson because his... It's, it's kind of like, you know, someone who needs help. Yeah. Uh, but like you don't have the spoons to do it. Yeah. But like because you don't have the spoons, you don't recognize that this person also doesn't have the spoons, but like is right. desperate because they they like they're at a point where with or without spoons they are going to break, you know, or whatever. Right. Um, so it's like, you know, it's a real shame. And like it's to, even down to the fact that when he's like it's also, by the way, reminiscent of Sousa at the end of season one, asking Carter out for a drink. And Carter's like, yes, I, I am genuinely interested, but like I need to, I have to take a rain check because there's something that I have to do. Right. There's also right. a little bit of that here too, because in a way, he does kind of have things, to he's sitting there with a file doing this stuff, right? Right. And he's like, uh, not today, but like next time you're in town.
0: Right. Which shows growth from Sousa. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: But hearing the way Thompson goes, right, sure, yes, next time, for sure, next time. Yeah. Yep. All right. And it goes, have a safe flight. Yeah. I also regret yeah. that I am sometimes personally, like, it's weird. It's like I am the person that's going to go have the flight, but I'm the one going, oh, maybe next time to some people. I yeah. have recognized that. And I yeah. hope certain people know that it's not me trying to avoid anybody. But sometimes I come home and I'm only home for a limited amount of time. And some people have already claimed my time or I'm coming up for yeah. something very specific. Right. And then I don't have the mental capacity to go do certain other things. Right. And so the amount of times where there are people who I feel bad that I'm like, I'm in town, but I can't this time. So maybe right. next time. And I feel like, unfortunately, there's some people that I do that with almost every time. and I feel bad yeah. about that. Yeah. It's not me being a dick. I promise it's me just like incapable at this time. Absolutely.
0: Um, I think, I mean, I do, I think that um, it makes me really sad because it's, it's, I, I see it myself sometimes where I've, you know, blown up at whoever, usually Kristen, just because of frustration and not because like of any anger towards her, but just like stuff builds up. And immediately after I do, I'm like, ah, I've had a breakthrough. I, I I now realize this and this and this. Cool, let's talk about it. And Kristen's like, I don't want to mm-hmm. right now. I'm in a place where you've just uh, blown up at me. So I'm not there for you. And I feel like, oh, I see. I've burned bridges here. And that, I feel like- That's exactly what Jack has. Yes, yeah. yes. yes. Yeah. Oh,
1: I was, yeah. You're on yeah. the same brainwave as me because I was yeah. just about to comment on how-, how- you know, I don't know what it's from, but you know that clip that's like, "Oh no, the consequences of my actions." Right, right. It's yeah. that like he's having that moment of like, "Oh wait, maybe I've actually been just a little bit of a dick to Sousa, just yeah. too much."
0: Well, and like, um, and he's like, you know, you know, now we're chiefs, and like we're both chiefs. Let's go out to whatever. And it's like, yeah, but you treat me like crap. So like, why? You've why been would busting
1: I- my balls, right? You purposely um, sent Carter out here knowing that's yeah. not who I wanted to see. Although I do think yeah. that... Mm, okay, here's a quick question. Do you think that him sending Carter out there was because he hoped that... Like, he kind of actually wanted to see them patch things up? Or do you think that he was like, <laughs> he was really going to get under his skin? Except if I sent Carter. Which of those do you think
0: is more accurate? Of those two? Or do you think there's another option? I think that... I think, that, I think Jack operates in a world where... He's like, I need to get, Peggy is constantly showing me up. I can get her out of here. However, I think he can do that confidently because he also knows that she's a very good investigator and like a very good like detective. So he's not like screwing Susa over. And then there's also, I think like you said, like there's an element of like, plus, you know, (laughs) like that, like got him kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know we've brought up Limo and Miranda in recent episodes and whatever yeah. for, to various whatever. But, and if I may, mm-hmm. uh, this it reminds me a little bit of Aaron Burr, where in Hamilton his thing is in action and seeing what happens sort of playing against both sides. And Thompson is very much like this because mm-hmm. and then like Burr, he's like, Oh, now is my time to to oh crud, my own inaction is or my own sort of like lack of loyalty is coming back to bite me now. Cause he wants Vernon to love him. Cause clearly father issues. I've been watching too much. Of the mentalist. Yeah. Uh, he, ha- he wants, you know, Sousa to love him. Uh, uh-huh. You know, he wants everyone to be his best friend. And, but he also wants to rise up the ranks and be in charge and be beloved by political, you know, whatever. And he, he's, he's, he's the point
1: pointed that at, at Carter too. Remember when he was like, yeah. Oh, it must be so tough being everyone's favorite agent.
0: Yeah. And i, that's I not I want, sarcasm. Yeah. 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 When uh yeah, well, yeah, exactly. It's aspiration. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I was thinking of, of Carter being like, Oh, I'm your favorite agent. Uh, which would be very funny. Uh not it, that would be like a Brooklyn nine nine joke. Yeah. Um, for sure. Uh yeah.
1: Now I ain't gonna lie to you, the bowl is done and messed up. They went off on a tangent and just derailed the entire show. Let's get back on track, shall we? Tangents.
0: So that's we do Thompson. have a lot of record. Yeah, so that's that scene. Um,
1: uh Okay, so I've talked about two of the three things. Okay, yeah. going backwards from Thompson, what else has happened?
0: Yeah. Uh let's see, going backwards from Thompson, uh then we have uh Peggy returns to see that Jason and, and Stark are hard at work and he's impressed uh he's impressed stark which is hard to do
1: okay no i know i know where i wanted to go okay uh because i like you know again i i swear anytime we're doing descriptions of scenes and stuff like that i am mentally fully checked in sure occasionally you never you never know there could be some sort of out- outside factor or something
0: pop ups happen
1: something sure. happens whether it's 10 seconds a minute uh, but I, I th- I'm I, fairly good, in my opinion, at if that sort of thing ever comes up, that my brain pulls me back in. I think it's because I know that I'm being recorded and I don't want to look a fool. Although that's happened once before because I think I know what I said, right? Uh, but... So okay, can we get to that part of your notes because I want to sure, talk about it because sure. it's one of the funniest parts of this whole thing.
0: Uh, I first note is I love Howard Stark as a professor. It, the whole
1: <gasps> when they when Jarvis raises his hand, I forgot about that. You talking about him being a professor? Oh my god, it's not a class.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: Jarvis. <laughs> oh, uh, that's so good.
0: Hey, anyone who hasn't gone to school with me, uh, I'm Jarvis. <laughs> Hi, it's Hello. me. I'm Jarvis and also Howard Stark, but if I wasn't in charge, like picture Howard Stark, the pupil plus Jarvis, that's me. Yes, obnoxious. All right, line two I d- yeah, you know, sometimes <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really thankful I'm that I didn't have uh any classes with Kristen cause woof um all right, uh, next, Sousa knows some chemistry stuff, and he says the line. He says, come on, it's the strategic scientific reserve. It's um, so
1: good. It's great when he goes, oh, it's the, hang on, now I'm trying to remember the exact phrase, but he says. He knows says,
0: about a developing film. He's like, that's right. uh, silver nitrate, which is used for developing film.
1: Right. But he specifically says it's for um, making blank uh Stick to
0: fixing fixing the 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 image to the to the paper or whatever. Yeah, but like it's a tr- Here, it's not it just
1: paper, right? Like uh, I'm trying to remember the exact thing because it's like he uses like the literal like for lack of a better term scientific phrase or word for what that paper is like what like what you would call like basically photo stock, but it, like he doesn't say the- photo stock. It's like blank.
0: It and is it's not resin the- either, obviously. But sign. Sci- right, I'll just look up sign too. Strategic? Uh Oh, to uh, that's what... Uh, you're using silver nitrate. That's what photographers use to bind images to celluloid.
1: That's it. That's it. To bind, by the way, images to celluloid. And the fact that everyone in the room turns and looks at him like, whoa, <laughs> it's is so good. And then again, for him yeah. to be like, what? It's the strategic scientific reserve. I can right. know some science.
0: Which like... If you didn't listen, if season two of Agent Carter is your favorite Marvel property and you are just tuning in for season two, uh, maybe head back to season one because I brought up this line on no less than three occasions at the very, like, that's just me thinking, just casting a wide net, specifically with regards to Chris Minsky. Um yes. But we, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we talked about how. There's different kinds of science and there's different kinds of smart and there's different kinds of all sorts of stuff. Right. And we talked Um, a little
1: bit, I think, a couple of times about how like that's why they had scientists and agents, you know, yeah, like people who might understand some science. But like, you know, the bigger stuff needs to be explained while they're out doing the field work. Right. Which I think, again, also, I know I said this in an episode somewhere, but like I don't remember where. So I'll just say it here. It yeah. lends itself to becoming shield so heavily.
0: For sure. For sure.
1: Because while again, most of them understand some little degree of science in some fashion. Yeah. You know, to some extent, like what you really do have frequently is like people who are out in the field who are like, I'm a agent. Right. And we have scientists in a lab that are that we are in constant contact with so that we're all in the know of everything that's happening at any given time.
0: Your Fitz's and your Simmons's. Yeah. Um yeah. Your Fitz Simmons yeah. I'm
1: trying to i I'm trying to do the Fitzsimmons, but like still with the you know, your Captain's your America's Fitz, kind Your Fitz Simmons, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, your Fitz is Simmons.
0: Don't you think that it's funny that Fitzsimmons being two people is a throwaway joke from the first episode that they had to stick with for seven seasons? <laughs> like they didn't stick with it, but they named them Fitz and Simmons so that they could make that joke. One time, and they never reference that we call them that ever, ever. We'll get to it. Anyways,
1: <laughs> we're a ways away.
0: We are a ways away. All right. Uh, third note, uh, Jarvis is in lab goggles and a lab coat. Howard Stark is in neither one of those things, uh, which is hilarious.
1: I need you to check your notes on something. Yep. What was the name of the, of the aide that was with Howard Stark in Captain America? I mean, the character might not have a name, but like we know the actor, you know.
0: Uh, let's see. Write that down. Hold on, one second. Yep, exactly. Stark's engineer or Stark's?
1: I don't know. I I was. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, I was. The whole purpose of this was simply to say, you know, he's someone who would wear goggles and stuff like that. Right. Um, and I love the fact that, like, again, like teacher, professor, or whatever, and, uh, and him, you know, he's out there. And then like your know, Stark is like, all right, I'm gonna teach you. And so Jarvis is like, I'm I'm wearing the goggles. Do I get extra points? Right. And like, yeah, hey, exactly. teach. Hey, teach. I'm I've got proper technique. And he's like, that's great.
0: <laughs> Raise his hand. Uh hi. Um where's your eyewear? <laughs> yeah. Stark is the exact kind of person that uh would be like, uh, where's your eye re- eyewear? You're not wearing any. Get on the lab. Get out. Right now.
1: Yeah. This is my lab. You think you can tell me? This is for you. This is for your benefit.
0: <laughs> All right. So Kevin Mil- Millington. Kevin Millington is who I uh, gathered was the Starks engineer who would be would have been someone that would get to still be in, on the tests so after Pratchett.
1: Then I think the joke here is that I appreciate that Jarvis knew that they couldn't get
0: Wait, what was his name one more time? Edward Millington. Uh, the actor's name was Kevin Millington. Kevin,
1: Kevin Millington. They couldn't get Kevin Millington. Kevin. Okay, Kevin Millington out to L.A. in right. time. So he was like, "I'll wear the goggles and wear the thing." So if you need yeah. to tell me to write that down, I'll do it for you, sir.
0: He, yeah, I'm Jarvis. He, he, I can wear many
1: hats or goggles.
0: He read. He read the safety, like the safety guide, and like was like, "All right, let's see. Check one. Okay, lab oh goggles that are ridiculous looking. Okay."
1: For Christmas the previous year, Stark got him, like, one of those, like, you know, my first chemistry kit.
0: Right, right.
1: That you give to, like, a 10-year-old child.
0: Absolutely. He was like,
1: have you ever seen what happens when you put vinegar with baking powder?
0: And if he's you like, haven't burned yourself on chemistry-said acid.
1: I don't think I did, but I know I definitely like fucked some stuff up with it before in the past like yeah. when I was a kid, where I was like, I want to be a scientist, and then it comes to find out that I knew fuck all about science. Yeah. I couldn't understand it, couldn't get with it, and I was like, Mm, maybe I will not be a scientist after all.
0: And see, I had the same experience, but different conclusions, and that's just science for you, baby.
1: As a kid, I was like, I'm going to be an inventor, and I would quote-unquote invent things all the time. Sure. but. By- you know, pasting things together and, like, making these items. I was like, someday, I, like, I genuinely have the idea for, like, a touchscreen phone, basically, at the age of, like, seven or eight. Like, I have somewhere a block, yeah. like, a wooden block that was, like, a building block that I had just, like, drawn on and, like, had, like, added some buttons and some screens and things to. Where I was like, yeah, but, like, when I when I can actually make one, it like, you won't need to have a, a different button because, like, it'll just come up when you need it. Because it'll yeah. be on the screen. And I felt like a genius, but I didn't yeah. know how it would work or anything because I didn't know anything other than I can draw on a block. So, yeah. you know, I had the right mindset, but not sure. at all the tools.
0: The, uh, my, when my dad explained, uh, okay, so here's me about to feel really old again. Ready? So, when email was first coming out, <laughs> oh, um, no. my dad explained to me what email was. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. So you could write me a message. And then when I got to my computer, the message would be waiting right there and I could write you back. And that's not email. That's instant messenger. That's for sure like instant messenger and not like email is sort of like that. But what I was picturing was absolutely instant messenger. And I think yeah. that it's really funny that. Uh, yeah, I
1: could I could understand how that is.
0: Yeah, the the human brain is so funny because it's like, I think that the, you know, I wanted to be an inventor too. I think that it's not a surprise that we ended up in a field of like, all right, um, what can we do with this? What can we like build from this? How can we, you know, make this work?
1: We invent different ways to put words together in sentences that you never thought you'd ever hear.
0: I have two things uh, left to talk about. Sure. Sure you will probably guess that they are Velveeta and Rita Hayworth. So Yeah, um, 100%. Um, and they are Velveeta on Rita Hayworth. I have this movie that uh, has been making them. That's what a weird thing to say. Anyway, so Velveeta is a brand name for a processed cheese product similar to American cheese. And that word similar is doing a lot of work. <laughs> um, it is invented. What a heavy lifting. Actually, I read further on that was like they got in trouble Oh, I'm going to say it. I keep thinking of things that I've written further down. Sure. Um, It was invented in 1918 by Emile Frey of the, quote, Monroe Cheese Company in Monroe, New York. In 1923, the Velveeta Cheese Company was incorporated as a separate company. Surely a tax shelter. In 1925, (laughs) it advertised two varieties, Swiss and American. Swiss Velveeta... Makes me want to vomit. The firm was purpo- purchased by Kraft Foods Incorporated in 1927. So it's Velveeta, aka, oh my god, something's gone wrong with this Velveeta. The product was advertised as a nutritious health food. In the 1930s, Velveeta became the first cheese product to gain the American Medical Association's seal of approval.
1: <laughs> oh, no.
0: It was reformulated in 1953 as a quote, cheese spread. But as of two thousand two, Velveeta must be labeled in the United States as a quote, pasteurized prepared cheese product. Because <laughs> oh, the God. I think the FDA was like, oh, you no. can't say that this is cheese. <laughs> so and I say this, hey, Velveeta lovers. Die. I say this with half a brick of Velveeta in our refrigerator as we speak. So oh, shit. let's just let's just all uh let's just all calm down about the the Angry Velveeta defense tweets. VDT. The name Velveeta was intended to con- connote a velvety smooth edible product. It is not so,
1: velvety. I would argue smooth is
0: maybe okay, but like smooth, it can be. It's I would say smooth can, is fine. Yeah. But in the Velvet. way that like uh like uh listen, and again, I love Velveeta. But like ceiling cock or like stackle? <laughs> yeah,
1: no, for sure, <laughs> and it does that to your insides
0: for sure. It for sure absolutely does
1: very very um, fast. Can I say something about that Velveeta stuff? I because I, I I'm with you. I love Velveeta. Yeah. I once did a for like a Super Bowl party. I once did a smoked queso, mm. and it. Oh my god,
0: I, that sounds good.
1: truthfully right. Yeah, but it was straight up like I think. For the amount of people that now granted, this was not how much it was just for like one serving. I was making it for many people, right? So I believe there was two full blocks of Velveeta. Yeah. Uh diced tomatoes. Um uh Let's smoke. Uh I believe it was sausage that had been, you know, cooked up um mm-hmm. with some kind of like taco seasoning type sort of thing. Sure. Um some lime juice, uh, some and a couple other veggies that all of a sudden I'm blanking on. And it was unbelievable because that like really good, you know, it's smoked and it's like low and slow. And for sure, the cheese just melted and it just got bubbly. And you know, you got like a little bit of the cheese crust around the side oh, of yeah. the thing. Um, and just it was so good. It was like ooey gooey goodness. Yes. And it was that thing of even after I took it out of the smoker, even though it's cheese it still stayed like gelatinous for yeah. about an hour before yeah. it really was like you'd have to re- yeah we had to reheat it or whatever but it was like one of those things where as you ate it you're like this is so good but with every bite you felt your body feeling the effect of gravity further because right. every artery every pipe in your body was getting clogged with cheese and it was uh a rough time, I think, is the only way I'll describe it.
0: Later, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. It, is so hard. Uh, we, there's a, um, well, a couple things. Velveeta shells and cheese. I still, to this mm. day, think of as the fancy mac and cheese. Interesting. Growing up, craft macaroni was mm-hmm. what we ate for macaroni and Fair. cheese. Velveeta shells and cheese. You don't have to mix anything. You don't have to get the powder and the milk and the butter. You just squeeze the packet into the thing. What are we fancy? Like.
1: Is it not in the very best to us that like it's somehow a sauce and it's already just like, like almost a hardened cement. Yeah. It's like just under hardened cement is what it is. And it's like, yes. You I mean, we've made the joke, but like I feel like I could retile of a, yeah. a floor with that.
0: Yeah. One last thing about Velveeta. Uh it says smoothness and melting ability are promoted as properties that result from reincorporating the whey and the with the curd. The brand has been expanded into a line of products including cheesy bites, macaroni and cheese, and cheesy skillets. Uh Velveeta. Something that Howard Stark appreciates just like he appreciates Jason Wilkes. And they both are a snack. So um, Peggy plays, I have this in all caps, Peggy plays with her ear when she lies about Dr. Wilkes. And I thought that was very cute and a cool callback to J- uh, Jarvis's uh, tell in the season one. They're like, what about Dr. Wilkes? And she's like, oh, um, he's just a, he's a good man. And like, mm-hmm. he's crucial to the investigation. Like, like if she's not like twisted, like Twisting her earring into some sort of, like, whatever. Like, she is definitely, for sure, playing with her ear in a way that is like, I am lying right now. Um, Which is
1: very fascinating to me, considering, like, she's lied so many other times in this show. Yeah,
0: and this yet, is about feelings.
1: I had to think about if she'd lied about feelings before or not. But I can't really remember if she has or not.
0: I mean, she lied to Angie about not wanting to live with her and that's technically about feelings because she did want to live with her but like I think that she hasn't gotten a grasp on how she f- feels about Jason Wilkes yet because, I think again as we mentioned before it's yeah it, it's been a quick uh quick turnaround time the
1: Angie thing also I think like initially for example like before they she understood what she was yeah as an agent and stuff I think that was also like I'm 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 lying about my feelings but it's more because I'm actually literally protecting you.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Versus yeah. being
1: like I can't admit to myself what my feelings are.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And True. and you know there's the whole like am I betraying Steve by having feeling all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh so that is interesting. Uh my final thing Jack says uh when Vernon asks Vernon is talking about hey Jack did you watch this? And Jack says, mm. "I believe lying. Uh, no, if it doesn't have Rita Hayworth in it, I'm not interested. And I believe that's a lie. Again, we're recording this on November 28th now for both of us, 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe in a previous scene, Jack watched it with Sousa and Peggy and 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 at all. Right. So, uh, but I did a little research into Rita Hayworth, and because I wanted to think, I wanted to figure out like." What a weirdly specific... Like, you know, I like Anna Kendrick a lot. Sure. I would never say, if it doesn't have Anna Kendrick in it, I'm not interested, And that's fine. And Jack can say that. That is totally within his rights. It's a wild thing for Jack to say. Because it's he's putting it like, you know, I only like pretty women. But like, I only like this one pretty woman. So I wanted to see, what is Jack working with in terms of what was the most recent release from Rita Hayworth? And, uh a Rita Hayworth movie would come out in 1947, which we'll talk about in a second in sort of general. But in specific, the last Rita Hayworth movie in theaters for Jack would have been Gilda in 1946, which is uh, the most famous Rita Hayworth movie out there. It's the one, you know, the, the, the gif where it's a woman and it's a black and white and she's like, and she like, like she flips up her hair and she's smiling. And yeah, she has like, that's Rita Hayworth in Gilda
1: okay gotcha
0: it's the most iconic thing she did it's in like you know afi's you know it's in the Library of Congress yeah. all this stuff you know it's weird to reference AFI when you're talking about the American Film Institute with you Colin and I I, I think that that's uh that's weird because I could be talking about the band a fire and Sure. but yeah, yeah yeah um I'm not so uh maybe <laughs> AFI also likes it I don't know um
1: (laughs) hey we know you guys are you know big fans of our show so just tweet us and let us know
0: that would be so funny if davy havoc hosted a show looking at the afi top 100 to see if it's afi double certified or something that would be really funny anyways
1: afi double certified is so fucking good (laughs) oh it's so good
0: all right uh so gilda is this is the story of gilda in like two sentences Johnny Farrell, who is played by a guy named Glenn Ford, is a small-time American gambler, newly arrived in Buenos Aires, Argentina. When he is caught cheating at a game of blackjack, Farrell manages to talk his way into a job with the casino's owner, the powerful... I'm going to say Ballin Munson, because Ballin Munson doesn't... Anyways, probably Balin Munson. The two form an uneasy partnership based off their mutual lack of scruples until Munson introduces Farrell to his beautiful new wife Gilda, played by Rita Hayworth, who just happens to be Farrell's ex-lover. Um, so it's a film noir, sort of Casablanca-y, but with Gilda Hayworth. Mm-hmm. No, with Rita Hayworth as Gilda. I um,
1: yeah, I mean, I knew what you meant, but you're right. You should you should specify or fix that.
0: I'm sure you know Gilda. I mean, by reputation, you know, I don't know if you've seen it. I certainly haven't seen it. But, like, uh, it is not about Gilda Radner, as I had hoped. If Gilda Radner's not in it, I don't want to watch it. It's funny, because I I think that Jack is probably basing a lot of that opinion on Gilda. The next thing that Rita Hayworth was in is, like, a musical review, where she plays, like, this Olympic goddess who is like offended that someone is using it's weird. Cause it's an Olympic, like a Greek goddess, but there's also like for sure a Christian God that's in charge. It's weird. Um, It 40s white people. So uh, basically um, yeah. comes down, like it's sort of, and it's, it's the movie that Xanadu is based on. It's the story that Xanadu oh. is based on. So it's okay. so it's like comes, you know, God comes down to be amongst humans and also be in the show they're doing. You
1: know, not to not to go back to a conversation that we've had about Thompson and like not being able to sometimes talk about like feelings or whatever,
0: yeah,
1: I think also the Rita Hayward joke, right,
0: yeah,
1: I think there's I think there's something there about also like the concept of like men who like also find it maybe weak to enjoy things like art.
0: And Absolutely.
1: Films. And so it's probably like, I've seen like a movie because I've been on like a date. Right. You know what I mean? And like, you know, she was like, oh, I want to go see the new Rita. Boy. And then he's like, okay, whatever. And he goes and sees that movie. He's like, oh, she's pretty hot. Hot, hot, yeah. hot, hot, hot. Hachi Machi. Okay. You know, got to remember that one. And then like, he walks away and they're like, what's the last movie you saw? And like, now we're talking about like in like 1952. Well, that'd be. D- uh, in 19, you know, <laughs> uh, well, well, mm, cut that one. Definitely cut that one. That's a spoiler alert. If someone to me was like, hey, what's the last movie you saw in theaters? And I was like, what year did Star Wars A Phantom Menace come out? Right. Right. And then they go, uh, you know, like 2002 or whatever. And I'm like, okay. Um, yeah. Oh, 1999, really?
0: Yeah. Well, 2002 wow. was Attack of the Clones. Okay, maybe that's what I was thinking. 2000- but like,
1: mm-hmm. if I was like, if I was like, okay, hang on. I'm trying to think of like contextually where some stuff is. And I was like, uh, what year did Amazing Spider-Man 2 come out? And someone's like, 2015? Right. Uh, You're like, mm, right, got it. Uh, so I think the last movie I saw in theaters was 1999 uh, Phantom Menace. You're like, whoa, what the <laughs> fuck, right? It's like, you know, that that concept of being like, ah, I'm not a big movie guy.
0: Right. right. It's, it's talking to Mason. Mm, oh, God.
1: Yeah. So true. A friend of the show, Mason, who for sure is always like, Yeah, I saw a movie one time and I think it was the re release of Godfather 2. And yeah. you're like, What? But okay. So when was that? Um, I think when I was a sophomore in high school. And you're like, You've been out of school almost three times as long as you were ever in school. I was like, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. I never thought someone would get less references than Aaron, and yet,
1: which is crazy for someone who is so goddamn quick with things,
0: and involved in like video, like it's the oh, it's that was the conversation I had with my dad, like content creation, like mm-hmm. it's how how my dad was telling me about this band that like Frank Zappa loved, who made pop music but didn't ever listen to pop music, and like I was like, of course Frank Zappa loved that because it would have been they would have no reference to what they were what genre they were working in, but like, mm-hmm. it feels like that with Mason and like, listen, we love Mason. You never have, there's no required reading as far as I'm concerned of pop culture. It's just wild to know him and then find that fact out about him and be like, right. Oh, hmm. but yeah, with, yeah. But then of course that's not what Mason isn't doing. What Thompson is doing, of course, but right now, but I think you're right. I think that there's, there's a thing. Cause like, okay. So the next one, the next read of Hayworth is, like I said, a, like a musical. A da- big dance sort and He's of not going to
1: go to that unless someone else is like,
0: I want to go see this movie. Or, so there's one. That's one. That, that makes sense to me. Or he does. And he's not kidding about Reed Hayworth. Yeah. And he's like, I like whatever she's in. I'll see whatever she's in. I like musicals. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell Vernon Masters that, but. Because there's a little bit of like, Oh, I like Rita Hayworth, right? Because of the bazongas, you know, like sort of like a a weird locker room Mm -hmm. movie review Mm -hmm. where it's like, but I like to, it's it's more, I I like Thompson more if he's revealing something to, to Vernon Masters, but it doesn't look like he is where he's like one of my passions. I write a blog about Rita Hayworth every night. And by which he means he uses a magic typewriter because he's connected to Leviathan. But um uh but yeah, anyway, so that's Rita Hayworth. Uh and then one one last final thing about Rita Hayworth. Mm-hmm. Uh it says when while Gilda was in its release, it was widely reported that an atomic bomb uh was to be tested at Bikini Atoll in the Pacific Ocean's Marshall Islands, uh uh, an atomic bomb to be tested at Bikini Atoll in the Pacific uh, Oceans, Marshall Islands, would bear an image of Hayworth, a reference to her bombshell status. Wow. So the, f- the fourth atomic bomb ever to be detonated was decorated with a photograph of Hayworth cut from the June 1946 issue of Esquire magazine. Look it up. And then it says, above it was stenciled the device's nickname, Gilda, in two-inch black letters. Although the gesture was meant as a compliment, Hayworth was deeply offended. And... I mean, yeah, I would be, yeah. I get that. I for sure get that. <laughs> You're a bombshell. You just... I mean, you didn't kill people because that's what right. Bikini Atoll is for. Except for that's also where Godzilla came from. But... Explains uh, a lot. You know? But yeah, it's it's hilarious. That it's like, what? It's a compliment. Like, men. All right?
1: Let's head west and start a brand new... Timeline Scavengers Bureau. Uh, let's do the West Coast Timeline Scavengers Bureau, I guess is let's the way it's assemble the bureau. Uh, well, I'm still... I know we definitely said the right thing at the end of the last episode. I've just already forgotten it. Uh, so here we go. Folks, listen up. It's time to talk about a show here on the Scavengers Network. And I'm going to do a recommend of a show for you today. I am going to recommend... Side Character Quest because hmm. Side Character Quest is just such a delight. And like this is a show where uh, uh, Ty does such an incredible job with building a story and a world through sound design where one of my favorite things to do is is I will um, let some of the episodes sort of bank up a little bit. And then anytime I have like a long drive or if I'm going to be flying for a little bit or whatever, I will just, you know, set up my queue and I will just listen to you know, a full um, like story arc or something like that yeah. uh, of side character quest and just immerse myself in that world for like a day. And it's just so good. Ty is incredible at what he does. And um, I don't want to, you know, wax poetic or, you know, talk too long necessarily. But basically the premise here is that Ty is the DM in a game of D&D where every character is a side character. None of these are, main characters of the world or the story that is being told. Um, What I think is incredible is that there is somewhere main characters and a story unfolding around these people and these characters that like effectively in a video game would be your NPCs that you run into like later on or something like that when, when they, and they tell you the history of their world or whatever, like these are those people kind of coming to life and, going on these adventures and doing these things. And I think it's just spectacular where it's like, you know, they're heroes, but like, they're not like the hero, you know what I mean? Right. And I think yeah. that that's such a fascinating thing. And every story is one-on-one D and D with the exception yeah. of one arc that was done sort of for funsies um, with Caitlin, Mason, uh, Eli, and who was the fourth person? Was it Tucker or Jordan? I don't recall all of a sudden off the top of my head, uh, but the whole point though is that you know they did a great little like mini series where there was a couple folks in there, uh, and uh, it's just I, I can't recommend it enough. Again, incredible storytelling and the sound design alone makes it feel as though it's an audio drama, uh, and it's 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 a delight, and it's on Scavengers Network, and you can go to ScavengersNetwork.com. Uh, and check out some audio examples of Side Character Quest, or you can go uh, search in any podcasting app that you use. Side Character Quest,
0: and it will bring it right up for you. And Ty will be on our show uh, the one episode, two episodes from now.
1: Hey, there you go. So you're gonna hear about it again, but like this time from the horse's mouth.
0: Please, I've asked you. Just I shouldn't to call. call a it, a horse. I
1: shouldn't call Ty a horse. Yeah, that's awful. Uh, anyway,
0: he's a burro. <laughs>
1: We're not horse shaving here. Uh, I don't know. That's probably nothing. Anyway, let's go. It's let's something get now. It's two thirty in the morning. I'm getting a little sleepy, so let's get
0: out of here.
1: Uh, as always, I'm Colin Parker.
0: I'm James Anderson. Excelsior!
1: What in the? Hey, I speak Hollywood now. That means onward. <laughs>